Good morning. It's good to be back amongst the Lord's people and to see so many others who've been traveling back amongst us as well. And uh, we just want to say welcome to each of you in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you'll turn with me this morning, we're going to eventually end up in Exodus chapters 15 and 17. But just to introduce our uh, subject matter this morning, I'd like to read just a few verses from Psalm 24 and then go back to Genesis 1. So if you just bear with me for just a few minutes on that. And uh, while you turn to Psalm 24, maybe I could just clarify about uh, our guest speaker this evening. Uh, <clears throat> when we were at the homeschool convention back around Memorial Day weekend, you know, you go around to these various vendors who are, uh, who are the producers of various uh, curriculum products and whatnot, and, and there was this one ministry I'd never heard of before, Creation Ministries International, and uh, they're around the world, been around for many years, and uh, the gentleman who uh, will be with us this evening was already scheduled to be down here for uh, some meetings Friday and Saturday, and the guy just, when he heard we were from the South Florida area, said, well, listen, if you'd like to have our brother Gary Bates come speak at your, 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 your local church, He'll already be down there and be glad to do that. Uh, well, it turns out um, uh, the gentleman who will be doing the series this weekend, uh, Gary Bates, is actually the CEO of their, um, their ministry and been with them doing these messages for about 20 years. And um, if you're into accents, he's from Australia, so, I mean, that, that'll add to the draw, I'm sure. Um, and uh, uh, anyways, his theme for this evening, I guess, if I understand correctly, is going to be creation, not confusion. Um, but they have some excellent resources. We picked up some regarding creation itself, the flood, the Genesis flood. Um, a lot of materials to help not only give understanding, but to equip the believers for taking a stand in the public arena in this area that where we're being attacked so heavily day in and day out. Uh, there's a lot of, of misinformation that we have been fed. And unless we have the correct information, it's hard to even know how to refute them because you have to have something factual to stand on, uh, to, to, to speak in scientific terms. But we know that we can have absolute confidence in the Word of God. But where science actually lines up with the Word of God, you're not going to find a lot of that information in the public arena. And that's why I think that... Um, Ministries like this are so helpful to us in our day and age. Um, and so I just would encourage anyone who uh, can be to, to try to come back this evening to hear from Brother Gary as he speaks to this issue uh, this evening. And he will be here with some of those resources available uh, if you'd like to further study on your own. Um, enough of that for uh, commercials, but uh, I think it's just really an, an important area of uh, teaching from God's Word that uh, can be helpful to us today. In light of that, Psalm 24 begins like this. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And then Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Can we just pause for a moment of prayer? Father, not only because we're going to be considering creation this evening, but because you have said that you founded this world upon the waters. You established it upon the seas, but you founded it upon the waters. And water is such an important thing to us as humans on this planet that you have created. But oh, what you have to teach us spiritually from the lessons of our need and our thirst for water. Father, we pray that you would whet our appetite for you, that we would thirst for you as the deer pants for the waters, and that, Lord, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, as our dear Savior promised that those who do so will be filled, that as we hunger and thirst for you, that you would fill us to overflowing with that living water, that, that, that everlasting life that wells up within us through the power of your Spirit to sustain us in this life and grant us eternal life forever with yourself. We would just give you this time this morning, Lord, and ask that you would be exalted. You'd meet our need here, even as you met the need of the Israelites in the wilderness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, by way of introduction to our passage this morning, we're going to Exodus chapter 15. And I wanted to read those two passages because the need of the Israelites in today's passage was water. And um, I remember it being said that you can live without air for about four minutes until brain, brain damage starts setting in. You can live without water for about four days before your body starts shutting down. Um, he founded it upon the waters. We are so dependent upon it. Our bodies thirst for it. Our souls thirst for what the body calls this live. The Bible calls the living water. And so what we see in our historical account as we go through Exodus here, once again, is not only historical, but educational, as God has a lesson for us to learn spiritually from this very passage. And for those of you who are with us who may not have been with us in our, in our uh, uh, series, we started in Genesis, and we've looked at how God formed this nation of people called Israel, and they found themselves at the end of Genesis in bondage in Egypt. And after 400 years, God had promised Abraham that he would bring his people out once again. And that's what the book of Exodus is all about. Exodus, the exiting of Egypt and bondage, the going from Egypt to the land of Canaan, from the land of bondage to the land of promise, where the place where God was giving to them as an inheritance. And what we see in this historical lesson for ourselves is that we begin life because of our sin, slaves to sin, in bondage to the condemnation of sin. How beautiful of a recovery we had from that verse this morning, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what the Bible tells us is that although we start life in this place of slavery to sin, in bondage to the consequences of that sin, God, just like he would bring out the nation of Israel from, from Egypt, would like to bring each and every human out of the bondage of sin into the place of his blessing, into the inheritance. Cain in a picture of 
not only the victorious Christian life here, but in heaven, forever with him, free. And, and we find ourselves now in this journeying through life, just as they were going to journey through the wilderness. And Exodus breaks down in three basic parts. The first 12 chapters are of them in Egypt. And then we have the Exodus, the event where uh, uh, God, uh, using Moses, leads the people out of Egypt. And they begin this journey up until chapter uh, 20 through the wilderness. And then at Sinai, the rest of the book from, from chapters 20 through uh, 40, uh, where Moses receives the law of God, the Ten Commandments and the law of God, and the plans for the temple, excuse me, the tabernacle, so that they can worship God. And so that's the general flow of the book. And we find ourselves now in chapter 15. This is part of the wilderness wanderings. They came out, and what a glorious salvation it was as they exited Egypt. It tells us in... Um, in chapter 14, verse 8, I love this. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. But what does it say? The children of Israel went out with boldness. They were a people of slavery. They'd been beaten down and abused, but yet they didn't just slink away and hide and just kind of escape in the night. The Lord made it so that when he produced their salvation, they could go out with boldness. And it says in, in, in uh, um, I believe it's in the Psalm, uh, uh, no, it's in... Uh, uh, Numbers, where it recounts this story again. It says, in the daylight following the Passover, the Egyptians were watching them. And they were glad to see them go as they buried the dead after God had judged them with the plague of the death of the firstborn. And the people of Israel walked right by them in boldness. And you know, what a great picture of our salvation Satan would love to just hold all the souls he can from experiencing God's salvation. But what does the Bible say? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God in our lives that sets us free from the law of sin and death. And so he takes us out, not just hiding away, in the, he just does a miracle right in the open. And he led those people out of Egypt and he sets us free in our own personal lives. But what do we see? As soon as they come out, chapter 15, they rejoice with this song. And they call out to the people to sing the song of the redeemed. And, and, and uh, we didn't get to uh, uh, study in detail that song, that song that they sang. And I would encourage you to read it on your own time. It is quite a blessing. But notice now, no sooner have they escaped from the hand of Pharaoh. And we start in chapter 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. <coughs> and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. <clears throat> I, on the other hand, just found water right here. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Because Marah means bitter, right? Okay. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. 
and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. And so they camped there by the waters. Now, a few weeks ago, we took a look at chapter 16. As they journeyed from that place of Elam where they had these oases with the palm trees and the wells, they went out into the wilderness of Sin. uh, And it was there where they found they had no food and they came to Moses complaining. and, And God said that he would rain bread from heaven for them. And he gave them manna, which we realized was a picture of the person of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we, we find that that is the lesson there. Just as they needed food to eat, and God supplied manna, bread from heaven, every morning in the dew, on the grass, and they could just gather it freely. God was providing for them, miraculously so, meeting every need that they had. They just had to go out and gather it and receive it for themselves. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was the bread from heaven sent to meet our need for salvation and how beautifully pictured it is. Every single day they were there in the wilderness. God provided it for them until they reached the promised land. And my friends, every single day of our lives, Jesus offers himself to you and to me to meet our need and to provide for us. But now... After him teaching them the lessons that he he wanted them to learn in coming to him, and and he says that he would test them to see if they would walk by his laws or not, and they learned that they needed to because if they tried to keep that manna overnight, except on the day of the Sabbath, it turned to worms and it couldn't be eaten. They had to learn to submit to God's authority and his way of providing for them. And then they learned that lesson. And then we come to chapter 17. And then we read, Then... All the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? May God bless the reading of his word. This morning. So twice now, in the space of just weeks, all this happens within the first three months of their departing from the from, from Egypt. And it tells us 
that God was testing his people. He had a purpose for this. You know, the first thing that, 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 that comes to my mind as I read this, if you go back to 15.22, it says, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And so they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they were three days in the wilderness and found no water. It says now, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. But, you know, it would be deceiving if we didn't recognize that the Bible clearly says, yes, Moses was the one that God had set up to lead them, but they were following the, the Lord. It was the Lord's leading that brought them there. It, because it would be easy for us to say, well, Moses either made a wrong turn or something was going on with him, that maybe this is part of the problem. But if you just go back a page or two in your Bibles to chapter 13, it tells us that God led the people. 3.17 says, then it came to pass when Pharaoh let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. It would have been a shorter trip. But God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And I like the way it was recounted in Numbers Again, you know, as, as the people of Israel traveled for 40 years wandering in the wilderness, you know, this first generation of people died and the new generation had come along. And so God wanted to make sure they understood their history as they went into the promised land. And so the, in Numbers and Deuteronomy, we see a recounting of the lessons so that they would understand their history and where God had brought them from. And in Numbers 9, it says, verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. And they kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And so God was going before them. There was that pillar of cloud. There was that pillar of fire by night. And when, when, when they were traveling, if it was daytime, they could see the cloud. If it was nighttime, it was a pillar of fire and they could travel through the night because of the light. But as long as the cloud was moving, they traveled day or night. But when the cloud came down and settled, they camped around the Lord. And they stayed there as long as the Lord stayed. He, they said if he just stayed there overnight and the cloud picked up in the morning, they packed up their tents and they, and they gathered everything and they started again. But if the Lord stayed there for three weeks, they stayed for three weeks. If he stayed there for a month or a year, they stayed that long. But it was at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses that God was leading them. And so, you know, it would be easy for us to look at the circumstances of the Israelites here in Exodus and say, well, you know, why did the Lord lead them to this place where there was no water? Certainly they must have displeased the Lord somehow. That's not the case. They were following the Lord. He was bringing them through the wilderness, but he brought them to a place where there was no water. Why would he do that? Well, he had a plan. And we get a glimpse of that plan as we read through this passage. It says that God in 15, this is Exodus 15, 25, there God made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. God was trying to teach them to test where they were at, whether they would continue to look to him. When they were standing by the Red Sea, and it was interesting as I looked at a map to try to figure out where are these cities where God led them. I went all the way back to chapter 12 to look, where did it say they went? And, and some of the cities, they don't know where they are. So there's question marks. So it's, a little, it's hard. Where did they cross the Red Sea? 
You can find debate on that left and right. We're not exactly sure. Now, some of the people who don't believe the Bible, it's interesting. I, I just saw a book recently, right? And they want to put it way up at the top of the Red Sea. You know how it has those two little fingers, the Gulf of Aqaba and the Gulf of Suez, and there's this little teeny little, it looks like a long fingernail that gets off, off beyond the top of the Red Sea. And they say, well, that's the Sea of Reeds. And that must be where God let them across. Because, see, they don't want to give the credit to God for parting the whole sea, having a wall of water on either side, like the Bible says. And so they just want to say, well, it was just a little muddy place of the reeds, and God brought them through. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. How's the whole army of Egypt going to drown in the reeds? They don't want us to think about that. But, but, but so, so you, you look, well, where did they cross? And it's hard to say, because what God did is he led Moses to go from Ramses up to, uh, uh, I I think it was Pithom, Sukkoth, and then up to Elam, which was kind of, and then it says, then he had him turn and go back between Migdal and Baal uh, uh, Zephon, which they don't know where those exactly are, but so it looks like he's turning back into the wilderness rather than the escape route. And that's why Pharaoh goes, what's going on with these guys? They're just going to die in the wilderness. They don't even know where they're going. And so that's why he begins to pursue them. Said, we should have just kept them here. And he, and he comes riding after them. They begin, it looks like they're aimless. But God was bringing them, first of all, so that Egypt would f- pursue them and God would completely wipe out Pharaoh and his army. And then he leads them into the wilderness, not without purpose. And I wonder, it says three days journey, they went into the wilderness. I said to myself, I wonder what they were thinking they'd find three days into the wilderness. Isn't that what Moses asked when he first went to Pharaoh in chapter five and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? He said, God has met with me and he said, take my people three days into the desert that they may worship me there. They'll make sacrifices. And Pharaoh tried everything. Leave the women and children. Leave the cattle. He said, no, we all must go. And now they've gone. They've come out of the Red Sea. Three days journey into the wilderness, into the desert. And what do they have? They must have thought, wow, this is going to be great. God's going to bring us to this wonderful place. And we're just going to be able to worship him there and have a great time. And they come three days journey and there's no water. So they, they go on, and it says here, now when they came to Mara, they could not, there was water, but they couldn't drink it because it was bitter. Can you imagine after three days, they saw water? I remember one time being on a brigade camp out on the Loxahatchee River, and um <laughs> I don't think I had a canteen with me. We traveled through the sun, and I remember it was a hot, hot day. And uh, Danny Lawson and I were in a canoe, and we came up upon this beach. And all all, all of a sudden, this little winding river, and suddenly we, we, at Jonathan Dickinson State Park, there was this huge beach. And I just thought, wow. And we, we were able to get to a place where we could dock our canoe, and I went running back to where I could jump into that water. And I dove right in, and I got the biggest splitting headache of my life. I was overheating, and I dove into this cold, cold river water. And I thought of that when I was reading this passage, because can you imagine the thirst after three days in the desert and how they must have just run for the water? They, they haven't complained yet, but suddenly they see water, and they just know this is God's provision for them, and it's bitter, and they can't drink it. And now it says the people 
complained against Moses. Now, this is interesting. They didn't just go, come on, Moses, don't you have anything better for us? They weren't just, they were murmuring, yes, but they complained against Moses. They were setting themselves against him. They were contending with him. And uh, you know, somehow, the getting of the bitter water was worse to them than having no water. And I said, you know, how many times do I get this idea in my mind of what I expect God to do? Yes, there's difficulties, and I'm, and I'm, I'm just waiting for him to bring along what I think is going to be the deliverance and the solution to the problem, and it just continues. And then suddenly I think, oh, here it is. It's going to come. And, and, and it's, it's what I thought, but it wasn't what he was doing. And whereas before I was hanging on, suddenly resentment, bitterness sets in my own heart. And I'm contending with the Lord. What are you doing? Here I was just trying to follow you and I thought I knew what you were doing and now look where you've left me. But it says the Lord was testing them. He had a purpose in it. Well, I love what Moses did. So Moses, verse 25, cries out to the Lord. He had reason to complain. Here's the whole multitude, 600,000 men, plus women, plus children, plus all their cattle, and all these people traveling, and they're all taking a stand against Moses. What are we going to drink? And he cries out to the Lord. It's a good example for you and me. We often like to grumble and murmur like the Israelites, but we should take these things to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? The Lord says, there's a tree. The Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And you know, there's another lesson for you and for me. When we cry out to God, what does God do? He hears our cries. He wants to show us the answer. He wants to show us his solution. And when he threw the tree into the waters. Such an important word, isn't it? The Bible says that when God came down to speak to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, that he was there in the bush and it was burning, but he was waiting. It says, when Moses turned aside to look, God spoke to him. And I wonder how many times the Lord may be waiting for us to stop all of our moaning and groaning and stop all of our running around and look to him, cry out to him, and then to do what he tells us to do. He said, Moses, there's the tree. Take it and throw it into the waters. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And you know, there's been a lot of speculation. I was reading some things on this and some people want to try to identify what kind of tree was this? Where was the well and how salty is it? And they think they might've found one that fits the bill, but uh, what tree was it? And they want to possibly, but one tree could not possibly sweeten the whole water, a mass of water enough to feed possibly 2 million people, Right? So it wasn't the tree, it was a miracle of God. And somehow the tree was merely a picture for them of God providing the solution, right? And so that tree, for you and me, what could it possibly be? I know this, God's the one who chose and appointed the tree and reveals it to us. And I'd like to think that perhaps it's a picture of the cross of Christ, whom God has chosen as the means for sweetening the bitterness of sin and of death that has come to you and me because of, our own, because of our own meandering and wandering away from the Lord. And he's not only chosen it and through the word of God said, there it is, but it says 
it was cast into the waters. The waters were bitter. And it was the going into the waters that brought the bitterness, turning it into sweet. And you know, Jesus, it says, he, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He had to go and taste death for every man in order to accomplish our salvation. And uh, it's hard to see how death could become sweet. But you know, we've been watching several of our fellow saints knocking on death's door. And it is a bitter experience. But you know, as they look to the cross of Jesus Christ, they're reminded of the sweetness that's waiting for them through the veil of death as they enter into eternity. And that's what they're holding on to. And that's what you and I had to look forward to, this living hope that goes beyond the grave. And the Lord would sweeten the bitterness of this life as we look to him in every circumstance, as he would meet our need, the thirst within our souls. But it says, the Lord did this for a statute and an ordinance. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's the statute? What is the particular principle that he's got here? And what is the, the, the ordinance, the, 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 the ceremony, the, 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 the rules that he's trying to set up? And, and, and he doesn't really delineate a special ceremony or symbolic act, but rather a general one, as it says, he tested them. And that is this. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, diligently heeding his voice. Give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, right? He says, then I will not put any of these diseases which I brought upon the Egyptians on you, for I am the Lord who heals you. There's no other way. What do we sing sometimes? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's such a powerful lesson, to trust and obey. How could they trust him in the midst of bringing him to the bitter waters of Mara in the middle of the desert after three days? Cry out to the Lord. Moses was an example to them. And it says, there, there he made a statute and ordinance for them. The Lord was showing them, if you look to me, I'll heal you. It may look hopeless. It may be impossible by human terms. You can't even drink the water. It's as salty as the Red Sea but God can heal it. How can we look death in the face and find hope? How can we look at the dismal circumstances of our lives even as we try to follow him? Look to him. He is the Lord who heals. And he, he wants us to do this. And so once they get the lesson, he says, okay, and now he brings them into Elam with this great oasis and they camp there. It doesn't exactly tell us how long, but they, oh, they, they really bask in it. He said, okay, now enjoy, enjoy the water that I'm giving you. But you know, it's not very long until once again, and it tells us, chapter 17, they journeyed from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord. Now, you know, I had to ask myself, the Lord's saying this twice to us now. He's leading and guiding them, but they're finding no water. But sometimes, am I finding the bitterness and the water because it is my fault? Maybe I'm not following the Lord. Troubles come our way for three reasons. One, because I have, just, I have stopped following the Lord. And we're talking believers now, right? Unbelievers, well, you know, every single circumstance he's trying to use to bring us to look to Christ, that we might be saved, that we might enter into this new relationship. But even as a believer, you know, um, it could be as a consequence of my own sin. And if that's the case, the Bible says what? Um, confess my sin. Repent from whatever direction I've been going. Accept his consequences. Pray for his mercy 
and confess my sin, that he might forgive me and, and, and restore to me an open fellowship and relationship with him. Perhaps it's attack from the enemy. You know, sometimes our hardships like Paul, like Job, come because the enemy's working against us. And we need to know in those cases, we just got to hang on. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so we need to wait upon the Lord. Um, put on the armor so we can stand firm, the Bible says, right? And, and how do we do that, right? We got, we got to just fall on our knees and get before the Lord and, 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 and be looking to him again, right? Follow that example of Moses. Cry out to him and, and, and ask him for the strength to hang in there while we wait for him to deal with the enemy and, and remove him from the way so that we can continue. Or maybe it is just a test from the Lord like it was here. He wants us to look to him and depend on him so he can lead us. But that was where he brought them. It was according to the command of the Lord. And again, there's no water to drink. Not this time it's bitter water. There's just none. And so now they come and once again, it says they contended they wrangled, they strove against, they argued against Moses. And they said, give us water that we can drink. And so Moses, he says, why are you content with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Now this is scary. Why do you tempt or test the Lord? The Lord was sending this as a test for them, but now they're flying in the face of God with their circumstance. That's a scary place I don't want to be in. But God, in his mercy, they were, you know, they're coming out of slavery, they're new at this, and it says, so, so he cries out, Moses cries out to the Lord, and uh, verse five, I mean, it says in verse four that they're, they're almost at a point of stoning him, right? But the Lord says to Moses, go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and also take in your hand the rod with which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders and of Israel. Interesting, verse seven, it says, so they called the name of the place Masa and Meribah. Masa means tempting and Meribah means contention, right? And so although the, the name of the place was generally called Rephidim, they, it was renamed because God was marking this as an example again to them to say, listen, this was the place of your, you're tempting the Lord. You were contentious against the Lord, but the Lord wanted to help you. Why is it that they didn't learn just to call out to the Lord? But you know, how about me? How about you? After all the times the Lord has saved us, why is it we don't just stop and call out to him? Say, Lord, here we are again. You know, once before you did it, you, you, you brought water, you made those bitter waters sweet. Can you help us? But we have a hard time learning too, don't we? And so God said, okay. It's not something he's gonna do in private. He says, take the elders of Israel with you and go on before them. Take the rod with you, but with which you struck the river and go. And all through this, we're going to see, you know, uh, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says that the rock in this story was Christ. It says the, the rock that followed them was Christ. I wonder if they actually saw the same rock popping up as they traveled along, thinking maybe they're going in circles. I don't know, but uh, it says the rock that followed them was Christ. And, and we see very clearly what God was trying to pictorially teach them. The rod was the means of God's judgment on Egypt. 
He struck the Nile with it and turned it to blood. God's judgment and cursing came with that same rod. It's the rod God had Moses hold there at the burning bush. And he said, you take that same rod and I'm going to have you go to this rock in Horeb. And it says, I will stand before you on that rock and you strike it and water will come out that the people may drink. And there's no way around the fact that this is a picture of the cross of Christ where Jesus died on the, on the Mount Calvary for you and for me. The judgment of God's wrath and his rod came down on that rock, the person of Christ. God was there. He's the one who did it. Yes, man might have nailed Jesus to the cross, but it was God who took over and judged our sin on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our rock. He's our fortress, the Bible says, our salvation. And how did he save us? The rock was struck. And when it was struck, the water came out. And I thought it was very interesting. I was reading one of the Psalms. I think it was Psalm 140. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, 105.41. It said, he smote the rock and water poured out. I couldn't help but think of Jesus on the cross where they took that spear and they thrust it into him. And it says, outpoured blood and water. The fountain to meet our need was Jesus Christ. His blood on the cross is what purchased our deliverance. And here, the people, they were in dire need of water. They've gone into the wilderness and there's none. But that rock flowed out water like a river, the Psalms say. And freely met their need. There wasn't a sign that said one cup per person, right? They just freely could drink. And you know, it's a picture for you and for me again. What is it in our life that's causing us to thirst, to bring before us the great need of our hearts? You know, I, I, I was searching the, this, uh, a bunch of scriptures talking about this idea of thirsting. And we read about in Psalm 55, excuse me, Isaiah 55, just one of them. Where he says, Ho, everyone who thirsteth, come to the waters. And that he who has no money, come, buy and eat. He says, you can't buy this. You don't have what it takes, but if you come to the Lord, he says, come to me, and you can drink freely. There's a thirsting in our soul. The psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so, water brook, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. And God has put into each of us a thirst for himself. And, and when we read about it, Jesus, in, in, in John chapter 4, he met this woman, this, the, the, the Samaritan woman by the well, and, and he asks her for a drink of water, right, in the, in the, in the heat of the day, and she says, what are you talking to me for? You, you don't even have a, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, why, why are you talking to me? And he says, well, if you understood the gift of God and who it was that spoke to you, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. And whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And she says, okay, how do I get that water? And she got saved that day. She was thirsting. And whatever she was trying to fill that thirst in her life, she had tried relationship after relationship to try to find happiness and fulfillment, and yet her soul was thirsting. And so Jesus was there to say, you're going to keep thirsting until you find the living water that only I can provide because I am the gift of God. I am the one who can give liver, living water to f well up from your heart into everlasting life. 
And again, we read in John chapter 7, where Jesus would say, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He says, listen, I'm where you got to come to get this living water. And I find it very interesting that, the, that Jesus Christ himself, when he was on the cross of Calvary in John chapter 19, when, when the sky grew dark and God was pouring out his judgment on his son, and Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does Jesus say? I thirst. I thirst. Maybe his physical body was thirsty, but my, my friends, Jesus was finding for the first time in all of eternity past a separation between his very heart and soul and the Father's. And he expressed it as a thirst. Are you thirsty for God today? Have you found the fountains of living water at the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing that your sin has been forgiven and washed away in that river that only comes from him? Or believer, are you wandering in the wilderness of this world and you've found yourself thirsting because you're not abiding in him? You're not there in the place where you can drink from that living water, the Holy Spirit welling up within you? I, I, I was looking for these passages, as I told you, and I, and I read... Ephesians chapter 5 in a brand new way. Where it says, Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled to overflowing. Keep on being filled up to overflowing with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I thought to myself, imagine if I was in the place of those people in the desert. This would have been the instruction that they needed, that I would need. Don't try to be filling myself. Lots of people turn to wine and partying and all this stuff. So don't be full of those things, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We get that through the renewing of the Holy Spirit when we spend time with the Lord. Moses was our example. Joshua was our example. He went to that, ta that little tent, that tabernacle of meeting, and he just dwelt in the presence of the Lord. And he was able to not become scornful and challenging and contentious, but turn to the Lord. But be, keep on being filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Wasn't much melody going on there in Exodus 17. But when we're filled with the Spirit, He produces a melody giving thanks always. That's a hard one, isn't it? Romans chapter 1, the indictment against mankind says, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. I read someone who said, don't Judge the love of God by your circumstances, but judge your circumstances by the love of God. Romans chapter 8 says that speaking of God and the tribulations of life and what seem to want to try to separate us from him, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If God did not spare his only son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him not freely give us all things? He'll give us what we need. He'll quench our thirst. 
If we just come to him. And, and my brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you and challenge you today. Jesus is the rock in the weary land. If you know the Lord is your savior, don't let it make you bitter. Don't judge his love by your circumstances. It may be you're traveling right where he wants you. He may want to teach you a lesson like he was trying to teach the Israelites. Keep turning to him. This is the statute. This is the, 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 the ordinance that he would have us to know. Keep coming to him and he will heal our diseases. By his stripes, we are healed. Jesus has taken the full punishment of our sin and how will he not with him also freely give us all things? You know, lastly, in, 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 in trying to make sense of the image there, you know, there was another place later in Numbers where they were thirsty again and they complained again. It says, when God told him to speak to the rock, Moses, he was angry. And I can understand why. The Bible says they contended and tested God 10 times already. And Moses, when he went to that rock, he struck it twice. And God gave the water. The people needed the water. But God rebuked Moses and said, you won't go into the promised land because you did not honor me before the people. See, because the rock was already smitten in Rephidim. Jesus, our rock, was sacrificed once. Hebrews tells us the priests in the Old Testament, they had to bring sacrifices over and over again. But our Savior, the Lord Jesus, he went to death once and he fully paid the price. And now we just need to come to him as believers and call out to him for his, for his provision. And that's what Moses was supposed to do, to, to finish the picture. Once he was smitten, we can just come and freely receive from him. And brothers and sisters, we have the same provision made available to us. Are we coming? Are we trusting in him? You know, it says at the end of our passage today that they said, is the Lord God with us or not? May we not lose such faith that we forget. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. We, will ne we never need thirst like Jesus thirsted because he's already paid the price. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll supply all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Are we taking the stance, calling out to him, trusting in him that he might heal our situation and provide for us what we so desperately need, which we cannot find anywhere else. We sometimes sing in that song, I've tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but they failed. And even as I stooped and wailed, they, they mocked, and stooped and wept, they mocked me as I wailed. Too many times we're still going to the world thinking we're going to find our satisfaction there. But we're going to come up empty. Just like Peter, he went back to fishing, didn't he? It was empty. And I don't know what it is that you're turning back to in this world to try to find satisfaction, fulfillment, whatever. But we need to turn it back to the Lord and he will meet our need. Another hymn we sometimes sing, Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, and a rest upon the way from the turning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. I take the cross of Jesus from my abiding place, and I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. Content, to let the world go by and to know no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame, 
my glory, all the cross. Will you take the cross of Jesus today for your abiding place? Will you go there to have your sin forgiven? Will you go back to him there to let him meet your need in the heat of the wilderness of this life as you travel through? He'll meet you there just as he met the Israelites by faith. Father, as we close our time together, I know we haven't done justice at all to all that there is to think of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, as the rock. We're told in the New Testament that he is the cornerstone upon which your house is built. And you would have us to build upon him and become like living stones, a dwelling place for yourself as we gather together to worship you. He is the very foundation. He said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And it's only upon him that we can gather even today to know that we have a place of standing on that solid rock, the only foundation for our souls to to find for standing before you. We sometimes sing, Lord, about that sinking sand. And all of the ground is sinking sand until we find that the foundation of eternal life is on the rock, Jesus Christ. Father, if there is someone here, uh, maybe I haven't been clear enough to help them understand how they need to turn to you, how Jesus paid the fullness of their penalty, that they might be saved and not try to pay for them, their sin themselves for all eternity separated from you. But Father, I pray that they're, in their thirsting would come to find you, find everlasting life, living water within their hearts. But Father, for those of us who know you, I would just pray that you would help us. We feel the wilderness wanderings in our hearts. We feel the thirst when we're not walking with you. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me, you who thirst. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to learn to be full to overflowing with that Holy Spirit, that we might experience that fullness, that living water bubbling up within our hearts. And Lord, may it draw others to you that they would see that there is something beyond the things of this world. Not all those cisterns are broken, but there is a place where they can come to Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.